Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another year of Cast Dice. Uh, my name is Old Man Morin, a.k.a. Brad, and Cast Dice is the podcast that explores the great big wacky world of tabletop gaming. It has been said, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just so many good games out there that we can spend our hobby dollars and our hobby time on. It's often hard to know what to play. And that's kind of what this podcast is about, to explore what's happening in the gaming industry, to talk about the games that both my guests and I have been playing or looking at, um, and to just really explore the joy of tabletop gaming. Now, uh, one of the, there's a couple things I want to talk about with this uh, sort of preamble, if you will. Um, the first is um, I often talk to game developers uh, from around the world and for some pretty big games, and I'm always really happy about that. But we don't often get a whole lot of Australian game developing on the show, which given that we are an Australian show, my accent, you know, ignoring that, um, is I think a bit of a shame. So today I'm looking to change that um, with a game that I found recently. Now, as many of you know, I grew up in the United States and in Japan. Um, and sort of jumping back and forth from there, um, I developed a bizarre love of giant robots. Um, you know, growing up watching Gundam in Japan um, and then hopping back and forth and watching things like Mazinga. Uh, there's just a ton of giant robot cartoons from the 60s, 70s and 80s. Um, that as a kid inspired me. Um, I mean, you know how much I love G.I. Joe, but then the other thing I sort of had tons of as a kid that all my relatives knew was a safe gift was giant robot toys. And I had tons of them. Um, I had little block cities that my little robots would, you know, battle through. And I absolutely just loved the aesthetic. Um, which, you know, as I got into gaming later in life, really sort of fueled my love of Battletech and is one of the reasons why that was one of my first big games. Recently, though, I have found a brand new game um, that really sort of hooks that aesthetic right, I mean, gets it right in the mouth and pulls it out of the water um, with that whole 80s cartoon giant robot feel. Uh, it's a brand new game called Bot War. And I guess maybe it isn't so much completely brand new as it is new to me. Um, it is a small game, but in order to talk about it properly, I gotta have the guy who invented it all, who brought it all together. Anthony, welcome to Cast Dice. How are you? Hey, good thanks, Brad. Good thanks. Now, Anthony, before we go anywhere, let's talk a little bit about your game. It is called Bot War. Um, if people want to find out information about your game, where can they find it? And so while we're talking, they can go back and find it. Um, well, we've got our uh, website at www.tradersgalaxy.com.au. Mm -hmm. Or you can probably the best place is the Bot War Facebook group. And that's B, uh, that's B O T. W A R yeah. exclamation point. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Um, so those two places would be the the easiest place to find where it is. It's not really in stores or anything like that yet. So um, so yeah. Now you say that it's not really in stores, but you have well over a hundred models made for this game already. I mean, just digging through <laughs> your online store. I was blown away at the depth of your catalog um, for something I'd never heard of. Uh, no, no offense. Um, it, you know, you're a relatively small game, but you have such wonderful models and such a depth of them. Um, it's really spectacular. Yeah. Well, I, I sort of shocked myself not long ago when I sort of started counting them up and I realized that since maybe September just gone, I've produced nearly a hundred, but with my Traders Galaxy models as well, it's well over a hundred models in less probably in a year. That's bonkers, man. That's crazy. <laughs> I wonder I'm so tired. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the other thing. You're a one man operation, really, right? I mean, now you you have yeah, people who fine. help you out um, with some of the the casting and whatnot, but it is your show. It is now. Yeah, initially we initially part of Traders Galaxy. I had some friends um, working with me on it, mm -hmm. 
but we sort of parted ways um, before anything was completed. So um, it was just too complicated. And so, but the, I, I still produced all those models. It was just more on admin and rules side of things that um, they were involved. Right on. Well, let, let's talk about you a little bit, because I think that's a, that's a, that's a pretty big accomplishment. Um, and I think that takes a little drive and a little history in gaming in order to, to pull something like that off. Um, I, I know that you're, you live in Queensland. Um, I know you're yep. one of the Northern Australians. Um, what was your gaming experience like growing up? What sort of things did you play? What got you to this point? What, I mean, clearly something oh. did. <laughs> Yeah, well, how far back do you want to go, Brad? Like, uh, That's up to you, my friend. When um, I was, what's, what, when I was, what led to Bot War? Oh, um, well, probably the recent history of it was um, that I was doing, uh, I went, I, I have a day job as well. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go back to uni and do my master's uh, in business. Mm -hmm. And when I was doing my master's, about the second year, I'd sort of decided that I didn't have any capital. I didn't have anything pretty much. And I sort of decided to start Traders Galaxy then, mm -hmm. um, just based off some of the things I've learned through my master's. So at one point there, I was doing Traders Galaxy, doing my master's and working day job, which was a bit Ugh. mental. Um, but like, you know, one foot in front of the other and I had to learn a lot of stuff, um, learn how to build websites, learn how to, you know, digital uh, sculpting and printing and all sorts of stuff. So it's been a pretty massive learning curve and I've made a, uh, I made a lot of mistakes, but, you know, it's getting there. Nice. So it's been, it's been good. But really my war game history goes back to when I was like 14, so that's 30 years. Yeah. I used to used to do Airfix 172 scale, mm -hmm. um, World War II stuff, and then I was a massive Warhammer tournament player. I um, I worked in the UK for Games Workshop and went to all the the Warhammer tournaments over there for eight years. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, sort of came back here, had some tournament Games Workshop stuff here and then and then sort of gave up a bit and just became sort of a painter for a while mm -hmm. but um you sort of i sort of missed the games so but i, I wasn't after why my fantasy died i and 40k sort of pitted out for me so uh i've sort of like you know i needed something something else so um so it was good to sort of i've really enjoyed it um sort of doing it i mean it's it's <laughs> I don't know where there's so much so many sort of starting threads, mm -hmm. Brad. I don't actually know where to start. All right. Well, let's let's uh, let's start with uh, something having to go with the game itself, and we'll see what yes. tangentially um, you can start talking about where things came from. So um, let's talk Bot War. So um, as I've uh, alluded to several times, Bot War is the game of giant robot combat. Now that is a very simplistic view. Um, why don't you give us the the high concept pitch for this game? Tell us a little bit about it. Well, bot, I mean, bot, bot, excuse me, bot war had some obvious influences like '80s cartoons mm -hmm. and, and things like that. So I just wanted a game that sort of took me back there, and I just like the idea of like big robots smashing tanks and infantry mm -hmm. and aliens and monsters, just all mishmashed in together in a, in a game. One of the other things was that I like that it's a bit of a skirmish game. So you don't have to like, I have kids and family right. and it's commitments. It's so hard to paint up whole armies anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just nice to paint a few models and you can get a game in. I also wanted a quick game that was um, easy to pick up without having to learn pages and pages and pages of rules, but also something that has so much depth that if you actually wanted to play it in a tournament sense, it would, it would really test you. Exactly. So uh, I'm really pleased with how that part of the game has come out. Mm -hmm. um, when revision two comes out late this year, I'm going to add some, some bits, but I'm going to try and maintain that 
simplicity, but with a layer of complexity. Yeah. Well, fans of the show would know that um, that is one of the things that I really look for in a game system. And um, one of the friends of uh, this show, uh, blogger Dr. Mercury, was was the guy who actually turned me on to your game. And um, he and I were talking about it, and um, he was saying exactly that, that the game is easy to pick up. It's simple to run through. I believe on a battle report on his blog, he played with his daughter um, who is, and that's not saying that women can't war game, but I think she's an early teenager um, and she picked it up really quickly. Um, And so, and that was the first time they played. And so it's a game that you can pick up, you can play. Um, But he also said it had teeth. Um, I believe those were his words, or maybe I'm I'm paraphrasing or making that up. Sorry, Jason, if I'm not getting that right. Um, But that he said that the game had that depth. And it's one of the things that you know, I love about games like Bolt Action, that you can just pick up. Um, Gasland, same thing. You can just pick up and play, and it's a lot of fun. But if you want to take it to that next level, um, you know, it isn't boring after the first couple times you play it. There's depth to it. There's variety. There's variability. You can really get that gaming experience in. Um, and as you said, you can do it in a shorter time period. Um, Bot Wars played on a three-by-three table, um, and you usually have, um, you're going to have to help me out here, something like five to ten models per side. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's originally um, the concept is five to ten models per side. Like, um, But choosing which models they are mm-hmm. is super important. Totally. Because... Some models work with other models really well, um, others not so much. But you also, in the game, which I one of the key aspects that I really like is that you actually need some redundant models. Mm. Like you can't have like this dream team of models mm-hmm. because if you do that, you will starve for energy. Right. Um, and- and energy is one of the key components of the game. Um, so there's a little bit of resource management about how you control how much energy each robot uses in a turn, right? Yeah, that's right. There's nothing more frustrating than thinking, oh, I want to do several things this turn. Oh, but I didn't stack enough energy on this bot that was the like the bot mm-hmm. that I needed. So when you get energy starvation, it really is difficult to do anything in bot war. So you really need to manage your resources particularly well. And it's done before the turn. So you can't sort of only two bots can actually manipulate the energy within the turn mm-hmm. and they're priced accordingly, obviously, because it's a really powerful ability. Right. But that's, it, it is that it's that resource management where you have to plan ahead and you have to tactically think out what you're going to do um, by allocating that energy out. But then, of course, like the old adage says, no plan survives contact with the enemy. And you got to kind of ride out the rest of your turn with what you have then and try and make the best of it until you can reallocate again. Yeah, that's correct. And, the, and what makes that even more difficult is that there's no actual set sequence for when you do your activations. Mm. So for instance, you can you can actually move, then shoot for two activations, or you can shoot, then move, or you can yeah. shoot twice, or you can move twice. Yeah. So I... like it's really hard to pin somebody down if you don't if you if they don't if they don't go to the sequence that you're predicting that they go to. Right. And I do like that freedom where it really does work for, I mean, in some games you have the big army games, stuff like that doesn't always work. Like you need to have a, maybe a you go, I go system where your whole army goes for moving then shooting. Otherwise the game would take six years. Um, because this is a skirmishy kind of game, you can then have that freedom to go, okay, I'm going to do this guy shooting first or this guy moving first, or then I'm going to maybe do a little of this or a little of that. And you mix it up. Um, and in case folks are wondering, this isn't necessarily traditional you go, I go, where your opponent moves everything and then you do. Um, it, it's, there's an um, initiative step, is that correct? Yeah, where, strategy rating order. Yeah, yeah so um, the bots activate in strategy, ascending strategy rating mm. order. So the lowest strategy rating always like goes first. Mm-hmm. If there's any ties, then valiance will always go first. Um or your dice off um, f- for the game. So, but um, mostly when 
like I have found that strategy rating can really catch you out, like knowing which bots activate because there's some bots that can manipulate strategy rating as well. Mm. Um, so when someone activates, a, you think you're going to do something and someone goes, oh, well, I'm going to actually manipulate that bot to lower its strategy rating and they go first and attack you rather than you attack them, that can be quite annoying. Mm-hmm. But it's, but it's, it's, yeah, it's pretty, int- it keeps, it keeps you on your toes. Yeah. And again, that's what you were talking about before with their, the game having depth, with different robots having or different bots yeah. having, um, you know, the ability to manipulate um, core mechanics of the rules just slightly enough to offset your opponent. So you know, you actually have to think things through. Yeah, some some bots are very sort of upfront. What you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. Um, just probably like every war game, there's 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 bots are like your grunts that are your like your front line sort of you know, hitters. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the, the bot, uh, the models that sort of sit back. They're like your wizards and all that sort of stuff that manipulate, um, the way things can be done in the game and change things like that. So bot war has the same sort of thing. You've just got to find what bots actually manipulate the game. And I mean, if you load up on those bots, then you probably get trounced because you don't have any hitters, mm-hmm. you know? So you want a good balance of everything in the army. Absolutely. And when you get things out on the table, um, just having watched you play through an online bat rap, uh, it, it, it looks really nice because, you know, again, you have a small number of models moving around a small table with some great terrain really helps sell the game as far as from a visual standpoint, but it's very cinematic in that, you know, there's that turn sequence that you go through, but you know, you're trying to make those tactical choices. And at the same time, when you're resolving uh, what's happening on the tabletop, you're using dice that have, um, yeah, not your standard six size, six sided pip dice, but you have dice with a certain number of symbols on each side, um, which when you're looking for certain numbers of symbols, um, Again, just makes it that little bit more cinematic when you're looking, you're not just looking for, oh, I need a six. You're like, oh, I need three, you know, three skull symbols. Bam, there it is. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So why, why did yeah. you choose custom dice for this game? Well, because the, the probabilities on the dice are less. So, for instance, um, they're, all based, they're all based loosely on D3, mm-hmm. whereas some are actual blanks. So we want we wanted the the opportunity to actually not hit anything. So yeah. the way that so the way the system because we don't have any charts that you have to refer to or anything like that in order to work out whether you've hit something. Mm-hmm. It's just a it's just a simple dice roll. You either roll whatever you, whatever you roll on the dice is what you've how many hits you've made. Right. So, or how many shields you've made. So it's very simple like you don't have to refer to or memorize any charts or any sort of system of like, um, you know, matching skills or anything like that. It's simply this is how many you've hit, this is how many you've shielded, and that's the difference. Totally. And that makes sense. I mean, I hadn't even considered it, and it's a very simple thing that a six-sided dice doesn't have a zero. Um, Yeah, that's right. Right? I Um, mean, some people can say, like, you can hit on two or more stuff, but you're still adding up a bunch of two or mores, whether, like, if you roll so many dice, et cetera, you're still adding up, oh, this, this hit, this hit, and you're picking out dice. Whereas with Bot War, you literally see how many icons are on the dice, and that's mm-hmm. what you've done. Yeah, it really streamlined the gameplay experience from what I saw. I mean, you guys were, when you were playing, it was very clear, I need this many hits, I need this many shields, I need this, and you, it was just a quick bang, done. It wasn't, you know, I have to go consult a chart. Um, which, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And... Um, the shield dice are set offset, so they're not. You'll always get slightly more hits than shield dice. So um, you can actually add to your shield dice with either obscure or terrain. Mm-hmm. So terrain plays a fair, a fairly big part in the game in the sense that you get a black critical dice for that, which is a D three. Right. So you'll always get some sort of save from terrain. That's right. Um, so you actually can't get a zero on a on a black critical. Nice. But uh, if you're like me, then you roll just a lot of ones on black critical dice. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. 
<laughs> right on. <laughs> well, okay. So the the whole idea then that um, you have these giant robots sort of battling in terrain, and you're talking about the terrain being important, and I'm talking about beautiful tables. Um, can you tell our listeners because this is a audio, <laughs> this is an audio, not a video show. Um, what what do you envision a bot war tabletop looking like? How do you make giant robots have cover? I mean, it's you can't just hide behind a tree. Um, not your traditional <laughs> well, tree. Yeah, well, that's well. You sort of can if there's a bunch of trees because it's mm. it's basically fifty percent obscured. Ah, right. So on. it's it's direct line of sight. So that that whole old school adage of getting down so your eye is in line with stuff sort of puts you in the game. Mm-hmm. So um, we just use direct line of sight just because it's simple, and we figure that everybody's playing. Everybody that's playing Bot War is an adult, mm-hmm. and it's not really in tournaments yet, so there's no need to make some sort of preset terrain arrangement. Right. Um, I'm finally should bring up terrain. I'm actually just um, reviewing the sculpts for my new city terrain. Ooh, very um, nice. So I'm actually I'm actually decided to do it a bit differently to how most people make cities. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually at this stage I'm making some flat panels like facades for buildings where you can mix and match them and stick as many onto a piece of cardboard as you want mm-hmm. and then make it into a building that way oh that's cool so it's very um variable i think that's the term yeah it's actually for? a bit like the games workshop city mm-hmm. to fight terrain where you can stick those panels like on top of each other or beside each other mm-hmm. or wherever but they're they're obviously an eight millimeter scale, and they're yeah. of Washington, uh, D.C. buildings. Oh, that's cool! I love it. Having lived in D.C., I'd love the idea of having giant robots fighting, you know, among the, those classic style buildings. So, absolutely. So, I guess uh, that you did just touch on something. Why don't you tell us about the scale of the game um, and what that means for the game itself? Yeah. So um, we went. I went with eight millimeter. Um, only sort of because that's we originally just started with the bots and we just sort of we wanted more we did we the first bot war were actually um 40k scale 30 millimeters. so i've actually got a couple of them sitting on my paint table done at that scale and um we figured that they weren't heroic enough Okay. When they when we first saw them, because mm-hmm. it was a skirmish game, and you know everything was going to be really tiny, um, so we then bumped it up to the basic bots were going to be forty five to fifty millimeters. Oh, I see what you're saying. I thought you were saying you made them forty uh, k scale, so you were saying the bots were like fifteen, oh, eighteen inches yeah, tall. No, I was like, oh my god, <laughs> that's ridiculous. No, the bots okay. the bots were about thirty millimeters tall. Okay. Originally. So how big are they now? They're uh, probably around forty-five to fifty is the average. Nice. But the largest, the largest one, which is Omen, I think he's nearly eighty. Wow. And and the smallest one, which is Fault Line, well, actually, probably one of the Condors. You know, they're mm-hmm. only ten mil. Oh nice. well, actually, the smallest ones, the infantry, were eight, at eight mil, yeah, and they were a sense. massive challenge to uh, to do. And all of so. these are in metal. Yeah, so um, there is one that we're that I'm working on that is resin, but it's just been a bit of a pain because the humidity up here has been really nasty. Mm. So um, I'm just sort of holding off for a bit till I've I can give it some time. Basically, right it's on. all done. The molds are all made. It's just I'm just sort of holding off um, till I can sort of get a breather with this other stuff at the moment. And that big one that you're talking about, is it one of those situations from those awesome 80 cartoons where you take a bunch of little robots and combine them into one big one? Yes, that's correct. It's yes. uh, 17 centimeters high. Oh, that is awesome. So it is huge. Yeah, man, that is huge. So cool. <laughs> Um, but with the rest of the models, I really like um, having seen quite a lot of them painted up online. Um, I, that you get that n- those nice crisp 
um, features that you can get only through metal models. Um, you don't, you know, sometimes with plastic, you might get a little softness. Um, but man, just for those like 90 degree hard angles that robots sometimes need, I think the metal is the way to go. It really helps them pop. Is that why you did that? Or is that just a production choice or? Well, I've actually always been a fan of metal. Like, Mm -hmm. um, I'm a bit old school. I'm a bit of an old hammerer. Mm -hmm. So, um, even my, even when all the plastic stuff used to come out for games workshop, I still collected all the metal stuff. There's just something about holding metal models to me. That's more valuable. Yeah. Um, and I like the weight and that, yeah, if you drop them, they, they can break much easier and stuff. But I'm also, um, being sort of a painter as well. Like I, I've been like, there's no doubt that ten, technically a lot of the bigger model companies, like their models are amazing. Mm-hmm. Like there's no doubt about that. But I'm finding that as I got some of the newer models, they became harder and harder and harder and harder to paint. And to assemble. Yeah. And it's just so complicated. And you think, do I really need like to spend, you know, an, an hour painting this when I could take 20 minutes, you know? Yeah. It's just, it's just like, and still, to me, like a simple, really well painted model is better than a mediocre painted complex model. Yeah, absolutely. So, so for me, I'd rather spend a bit extra time on the easier models to make them look really cool. Mm-hmm. Then, so it's it's a bit of a design choice like that as well. Like my um, the sculptors that I use we could definitely do way more complicated stuff. Yeah. But even in metal, but we just, I'd prefer to keep it more simple and sort of your basic heroic poses because it's just nicer, I think on the shelf. Yeah. Um, and I really like, as you say, the heroic posed models that you have produced so far. I mean, with um, some of the robots, it would be really easy to do something very static. I mean, sometimes robots are, especially having collected the toys as a kid, you can put them on a shelf and it's like, they're all in the same pose. They're all just standing yeah. there, arms and legs straight. Um, and it wasn't until I started doing a little sculpting myself that I realized that the first, you know, 10, 20 things that I'd done myself were all that pose and went, oh, uh, no, there's no there's no life in that. Um, but when looking at your models, there there is that sense of, you know, movement and life and action um, that is so important when you're playing a game with so few models on the tabletop. It, it's funny you should say that, like, some of the poses are really difficult because, mm. like, you can make, you can you can pretty much, like you said, do anything with the robots, that, but there does, there does become limitations with the angles. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, like, some of those 80s cartoons weren't, like, drawn the best. No. And so you just work out, like, how did they even bend like that mm-hmm. or, like, move like that? So... Keeping keeping it to that retro style has been reasonably difficult, but like I'm sort of pl- really pleased with the newer stuff coming out now. Like that we're getting we're getting sort of more posability into the models. They're getting a little bit extra detail. Um, you the customers may not notice, but the new stuff coming out is even more detailed than the earlier stuff. And this new stuff that's getting done now is even more detailed than that. So awesome. there is detail creeping in, but I'm still trying to add it in, but keep the retro feel. Definitely. Well, I feel like a bad host um, because we're talking about the aesthetics of your models. We've talked about the rules, but we haven't really talked about the world so much and the factions and how the sort of the setting the game falls in, which is something that, you know, I think a lot of people <clears throat> like most. So um, why don't we get to that? Um Tell us a little bit about, why don't we start with the factions? Now, you talked about Valiants before, and those are sort of your um, stereotypical good guys, right? Yep. Well, no, well, no actually. The, oh. democracy, the democracy is the stereotypical good guys. Mm-hmm. They're, actually, they're actually based on the United States. So, from the 80s, um, I do. From the love, 80s. Yep. This is correct. Um, there's actually been... In the democracy, there's sort of two democracies. One was the democracy before the bots came, 
mm-hmm. um, which included a lot of sort of corruption and things like that. Pretty much Snake Corp was in there mm-hmm. um, running the country. And so when the bots came and King Gills attacked, the democracy was nearly crushed. And as a result, there was a massive sort of citizen uprising and all the bad guys were purged mm-hmm. and they fled. And so the democracy is actually on the recovery. Ah. So, so, so yeah, go on. So the democracy are uh, sort of the idealized um, 80s United States government. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, all that is good from the 80s cartoons and movies and television yeah. shows that we watched. Yep. Yeah. So they've not been able to really match the power of the bots mm-hmm. as such, but they're trying to match it more in a sort of specialized guerrilla warfare sort of way. Mm-hmm. They they made they have made their key alliances with Valiant, and at this stage, no one sort of knows where the bots came from. So they could have come from outer space. They could have come from secret other nations. So I'm sort of keeping that under wraps at the moment. Nice. Um, until, um, but we're going to see this year. We'll see the overlords, mm-hmm. which are sort of monsters, nice. like um, giant monsters. So they are actually from outer space. So, um, so hold on. Let's talk. Yeah. What you've mentioned the coming of the bots. So we have sort of a nineteen late nineteen seventies. 1980s um, aesthetic um, sort of universe, and then all of a sudden, giant robots show up in that that universe. Yeah, so um, nobody actually knows where the Valiants and Deceivers came from mm. in the game because um, it's sort of not um, it's not alluded to yet. Although oh, okay. um, the story, the story of King Gills, because there's also mermen. So there's actually in in my universe, um, there's a whole race that's lived um, that's been living under the ocean mm-hmm. um, on Earth, and that the democracy didn't even know about it. So, <clears throat> so basically, when uh, it's alluded to in that story about um, Atlantica, that mm-hmm the bots came from space because mm-hmm. Omen actually crashed into the Atlantic, which is where um, the Atlanticans got their bot technology. Okay. So, so they've already invaded once and they were pushed back because at the same time as the bots came, um, Atlantica invaded. So um, they were pushed back by the combined valiance and democracy. Mm-hmm. So they're ready to sort of push out again. So, and in that, um, the other one of the other factions is Snake Corp. They're actually the purged sort of evil guys from democracy. Mm-hmm. So they've sort of some have escaped and they've taken with them personal army um, and bot technology and things like that with them. So they're probably the most dangerous faction. Okay, so we have basic. You have sort of talked about five interlock, interlocking um, factions, and I think there's a the the sixth that you mentioned before. So we've got sort of on the on the on the better on the gooder side. Um, on the good side, we have of the spectrum, we have the valiance, and we have the democracy. And on the other side, we have the deceivers and Snake Corp. And maybe somewhere in the middle are the Atlanteans with their own sort of agenda, maybe off to the yep. side. Um, yep. And then we have the beasts. Um, who are also... Oh, yeah, the Beast Lords. Yeah. Yes, Beast Lords, who are actually probably on the as good as what Valiants are. Okay. Um, so, but they're, they're probably less, you know, less say than Valiants. Nice. But um, the, then, yeah, the Overlords, which are coming this year, they will they will be evil as well. There's not a lot of good guys around. <laughs> right on. Um, well, it's the 80s. Is that because, um, the, that because the evil guys are... Uh, always cooler. Yeah, well, there's that. Um, it's also <laughs> in all the action movies in the '80s. You had very few heroes, and then tons of uh, you know villains to uh, defeat. Although in the toy ranges, they always had more of the heroes because um, they sold better. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. 
Well, right on. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, how each faction works. Um, so clearly each and every faction has bots associated with them because that's sort of the mainstay of the game. But um, armies like um, Snake Corp or the... Um, the Atlanteans also, um, and I guess to the democracy to a degree, um, also rely on conventional tanks, um, helicopters, vehicles like that that we would associate with a, mo a modern battlefield. Yeah, that's that's right. Um, although democracy are the only bot-free um, faction. Oh, I didn't realize that. I haven't. Yeah, yeah, so democracy won't have bots because they're very. Um, skeptical of mm. of bots so um so they will have tanks helicopters infantry really highly trained mm -hmm. specialized stuff but no bots so um that's the only well that and overlords will be the only faction without bots okay but, um, so our overlords, overlords won't need them overlords giant monsters or should i yeah, just wait right. and find out oh nice oh cool yeah you wait and find out they'll, they'll look pretty cool giant monsters in armor love it love it all right so but if you want to take let's say you're a democracy player and you desperately want to add a bot or two to your army there are allied rules right so you can sort of yeah move things around depending on what models you have in your collection yeah that's right so um it's actually there's hardly any penalties for certain like just normal allies mm -hmm. there is also um an uneasy allies mm -hmm. so a lot of the evil teams have uneasy allies which means that you can't when you're distributing your energy at the start like of each phase mm -hmm. in your power up phase you can't actually distribute share energy between une uneasy allies oh so okay and that so, would have a big impact on the game yeah, that's right. So if you took, like, for instance, um, uh, just trying to think, I guess one Snake Corp bot and in a Deceiver faction, then that's – and if that Snake Corp bot generates only two energy, mm -hmm. then that is only for that bot. You cannot share any – and the Deceivers can't give any extra energy to that Snake Corp bot. Right. Okay, so in in the normal allies list, there are some special rules depending um, on who you use that if you take allies, you lose some abilities. So, for instance, if the Beast Lords are allied with Valiance, then um, by themselves, Beast Lords are efficient. Mm -hmm. But when they ally, they lose that efficient rule. Okay. So it actually will cost them more energy to activate in the game because they're an ally. Got it. And each faction has its own sort of national rules, so to speak. And um, I mean, how do I say it? When I was reading through the game itself, it seemed like all of the models um, were fairly straightforward stats-wise about um, you have you know statistics for you know offense, defense, and um, things like this and how much energy they create. Um, but then what really sort of gives the each individual model its um, flavor within each faction, which had its own faction rules, was that there's a series of special rules that then individual models have um, that we alluded to earlier that sort of bend the, um, the core mechanics a little bit in the way that, you know, they may, um, you know, be disguised or that they may um, pass information back and forth. So depending on what models you put in your force and depending on um, what faction you are, it really does lend to uh, an individual um, feeling for what you put on the tabletop. Yeah, so there's actually um, two, two sort of things you were talking about there, I think, was um, one is that many of the bots have what they call a special ability. Right. There's only, there's only like, I think, off the top of my head, six special abilities. Mm-hmm. And they're distributed to different bots um, right. based, like, for instance, one's vehicle ram, where you can just, like, ram people into in combat and things mm -hmm. like that. So, But that's only a once-per-game activation. So you can oh. only use that once per game. Okay. Um, whereas other bots have, and all most of the bots have a special rule. 
So it could be anything from like what I said before about being efficient in which you use one energy less for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could, uh, it, yeah, there's, there's lots of special rules like that, but some of them are shared between like, for instance, all helicopters will have the jetpack special rule. Mm. Whereas only one bot has the jetpack special rule. Right on. So it, they're, they're reasonably generic special rules. Some are unique at the moment, but as a lot of the special rules cover like a lot of instances in the game. So mm-hmm. as the range grows, more will get different rules. Right. But um, it wasn't really until the snake corp that the stat lines started to vary like quite wildly. So mm-hmm. I, I started off um, with some pretty generic stat lines and then modified one or two here and there for the bots. But as you get into the wilder factions, things will mod- get modified a lot more nice. in the stat line. Cool. And when you put these th- armies on the tabletop, it's not just a, um, a sort of a bash-up experience, uh, although I'm sure a straight battle is in the cards as well. But you were very clear to set up um, missions that allow for uh, differentiated gameplay experiences so you're not just doing the same thing over and over and over again. Yeah, that's right. There's scenarios. And I think to have the games as scenario driven is a, like, I like that from a themed perspective. Definitely. I just wish there was actually way more scenarios in the book. I'm not happy with the amount. I would like more. Um, <clears throat> so hopefully by revision two, there's more scenarios. Right. And if you, if you're listening to this and thinking, Ooh, maybe I'll wait till the second edition when things come out. Um, I don't want to spend a lot of money on a rule book. Um, I got the down, I downloaded the, full set of rules. It was $10 Australian. Um, so it's not going to break the bank kids. It's actually, uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's about the price of a kebab. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's half the price of Gaslands, <laughs> which I have toted as being, you know, the cheapest, you know, easiest game to pick up. And then all of a sudden I was like, Oh, it's half the price of Gaslands. Oh, okay. I'll download that. No problem. Um, and yeah, it's a nice, easy read and it's great. Um, and, um, I like how you have all the factions online for free download for all. So all the bought cards and how yeah. you're updating those as you go. Um, so as you know, new things get added or as you're playtesting things and changing things, um, it is a living game system. It's not something that you've made one book for. And then six years later, we're still using the same book because we're stuck in that one set of hard, fast rules, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And that's actually when I originally, um, was doing this, um, because this is the second, lot of rules like I've, I wrote um, I had some traders galaxy rules that are almost finished as well that's sort of been mm. put on the back burner but um, what I was I was writing to like working with the printers and trying to print rule books and I thought you know what like why not just make this a download because mm-hmm. like I've all, I always wanted to make the cards a free download mm-hmm. because I like the interaction through the Facebook group with people saying, Hey, you know, what about this? Or what about that? And all those, like, I like those ideas. I've always been one of these people that tries to take everybody's ideas and merge it into something Mm -hmm. a bit from everybody, because I think they make the best ideas. So with the stat cards, that's definitely like updating them as new factions come out and things like that is definitely some something that I want to do. Um, not like all the time because it's be frustrating to like print out and, and do the cards like every month or so. But mm-hmm. like just as stuff comes along, one of the things at the moment with the rule book is that we're sort of now like it won't be out till – probably third quarter this year, mm-hmm. um, the new r- rule book. But um, I've already found like we've hit the limit with the stat cards on the rule book. So oh. the stat cards probably won't change that much mm-hmm. now until the new rule book. Ah, oh, right on. Yeah, because I noticed recently that the, um, the Valiants and the uh, Deceivers had a recent update. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, I've tried to move. I've tried to add some themed factions into with the cards mm-hmm. into um, 
into there. So like electro waves, um, minions and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I wanted to really push that themed um, side of things. But um, I, the Atlanteans had a big update at the moment and I was really worried that people would think it was because I was losing with the Atlanticans. <laughs> right on. <laughs> but um, it's, that's definitely not the case. Mm-hmm. It's just because I failed to realise how impactful not having a close combat option on tanks would be. Right. So the Democracy and um, the Snake Corp tanks also were upgraded at the same time. Nice. So, yeah. Well, it's a thing. Although I mean, tanks still get... Yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say it's nice that um, playtesting uh, has, you know, directly impacts the game. As I said, it's it's nice to see a living set of rules that um, as things, you know, it's, it's not that things may be broken, but things could be tweaked to be better. Um, it's nice to see a game developer being like, yeah, I like to take on that feedback. I like to make sure that, you know, my players are having positive play experiences and it's cutting down on those loopholes or those those rules that um, may lead to, you know, feel badsies or negative play experiences. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And that's, that's, I've always been like, I've always tried to do that with, um, with the games, like, like playing the games, there's, there's actually been very few negative experiences I've had with bot war, but there has been, like, I remember when we originally um, were play testing, when the larger bots came out, like mm-hmm. the more powerful bots, like, General Duke and Mega Tyrant and that, and Mega Tyrant just dominated the game. Oh, did like, he? Just, yeah, it just blew people away from like across the board and stuff. Mm. And I just like, we realised then that one of the key aspects of the game is once you start going over five, rolling five attack dice, mm-hmm. bots start dying very quickly. Right. So, very very few. Bots will go over five attack dice. Okay. Yeah, because, because as uh, you say, defense dice um, are not as effective as that, and so if <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that could and it's very especially from a um, a ranged attack point of view, like you lose one dice over ten inches. So whatever's written on your stat card, you, like let's say you've got four attack dice written on your stat card, you actually if you're over ten inches, you'll only get three. Right. So it's actually toned down the further you are away. That's good um, because nobody likes to be sniped off the board in the opening uh, opening yeah. turns of a game going, wait, what? You can see me? And then boom. Yeah. Yeah. But also when we were playtesting, that was quite early on we were playtesting. Um, mm-hmm. We didn't have a lot of bots with scout ability or teleport or things that could actually allow them to attack those bots camped up on the hill, if you know what I mean. Right. So that was actually, it made it more difficult then. So now that there's actually a fair few bots out there that could easily get across the board mm-hmm. um, to at least engage those models, um, you know, it makes it, it makes it easier and it just sort of automatically balances a bit of that out. Nice. But we thought we'd tone down the ranged attack anyway yeah, because definitely. it was, um Yeah. Getting to be a bit much. <laughs> yeah, well, although I say that, I can't believe in my last video game, I don't know if that's the one you saw. It is. A single mirror warrior killed a tank. I can't believe that. Yeah. How did that even happen? <laughs> well, that's the thing about dice games. Just uh, even though <laughs> yeah, things right. have stats and have rules and everything goes well, uh, it is still a dice-based game. So, uh, I, I, yeah, I was playing uh, literally a game of Gaslands yesterday and go, and I was showing a guy the game and we were playing and it was maybe two or three turns in and, um, you know, something happened and I don't remember exactly what it was, but I still looked at him and went, so that normally doesn't happen. Um, (laughs) dice, you know, yeah. Happens. Yeah. And I mean, that can happen in bot war because like there's a, that can, you can get quite a big swing on the dice. Mm -hmm. Um, and the thing is, it's always a challenge as a games developer when you, you your points, you're adding points to that or putting yeah. a points value on that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was always, it was difficult to put a points value on the magnetic disruption gun that the Atlanticans use mm-hmm. because the, the potential for that is nasty. Right. 
But so far, it hasn't really happened um, yeah. in all the playtests. So how do you points that? Like exactly. You know, yeah, probability is one thing. I mean, it's I guess it's about consistency, right? Yeah, that's right. And you and it's um you I I'm pricing up the potential. Yeah. So the potential for it to be nasty because it also has a psychological effect, which you've got to points in as well. Mm -hmm. Is that if you've got a weapon that can have that sort of devastating power, then your opponent knows that and they they're playing accordingly. Yeah. So you always it's almost like the threat is worse than the actual the bark is worse than the bite. Right. It's um but it still has it still can influence the game, even though it's actually not even firing a shot. Definitely. Well, I mean, we've we've seen that in countless tabletop games where you you know, you it's the 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 wow factor or the scare factor of something and you go, Well, this could happen. People go, Ah, oh, I'm not going near that. Um yeah, yeah, you go, that's well, right. does it will it actually do that? Eh, Oh, but uh you know it could so yeah. you say with the cheeky yeah. smile and a wink it's possible uh so yeah all right right on well let's um i i'm actually i'll be honest i've run out of my list of questions uh to talk about today but um that doesn't mean that we need to necessarily finish um what are some things that you have not uh had a chance to talk about as far as bot war goes because i feel like um you know it for being a relatively quote unquote new game um, and having gone through several iterations already, uh, I feel like there's probably a lot more we could talk about. I um, haven't played enough to be able to really feed that out. So what would you like to tell us um, people who may not have heard of you or um, you know your game and what are some things that you think they would like to hear? Oh, that's a good question actually. <laughs> um, Really, like the the actual game isn't that old. Like we've, um, it's sort of been out there since I think mid October last mm -hmm. year. So it's not that it's not that old. Right. Um, it's been it was in development for quite a while, mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, I'm sort of I'm quite pleased with the the way the mechanics. It actually exceeded my expectations. Nice. Like how the mechanics have worked out. I'm I'm working on some unit rules now because um, I'd like to, I like a way for like especially for infantry to be able to team together mm -hmm. to do uh, focus fire. Nice. Yeah, that'd um, be cool. So they can sort of add their fire in, but there's there's be penalties. Usually, usually everything with bot war, if it seems really powerful, there's a there's a drawback. Mm -hmm. Like. Um, there's always drawbacks to like I like putting those into every like every single bot or every single model that's produced. I always like to, there to be a flaw. So for instance, if someone's got like a real powerful weapon, well then they're really weak and it's a short range weapon. Got it. So you have to take a risk, mm -hmm. um, sort of to actually use the weapon. So, um, pretty much. I can't think of anything that's like super duper powerful in bottle, but no doubt with all the hundreds of games that people might play over mm -hmm. the next couple of years, then no doubt they might come out. And the good news is that we'll easily be able to rectify those things like pretty quickly. I don't think there's stuff that I've missed, but I'm not so arrogant to think that I've got everything, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. You just don't know what some people might come up with. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's all fun and games until somebody actually gets in front of them and tries. I mean, there's always those people who try and break the game. Or if you just try, you know play enough games, things sometimes the wheels get a little wobbly and you go, wait, let me tighten that up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'd, I'd love for people to try and break the game, actually. Mm -hmm. Because when you get um, the people are really like um, in the old Games Workshop days, you used to call them rules lawyers. Mm -hmm. Um they're actually really useful people who can look at a look at rules and they try and exploit it mm -hmm. because it actually allows you to make a much stronger and more solid rule set because as each of those people like find those loopholes and stuff, you're just like closing them off. Exactly. So, and the, the way you, I mean, you can do that with a online downloadable thing really easily. It doesn't cost a lot, anything to do. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, that would be great. And like, eventually we'd like to 
move like bot war into like be more of a tournament rule set as well Mm -hmm. as a themed rule set so um and i eventually i'd like to get bot war into stores and and sort of i you know weighed up the kickstarter option originally Mm -hmm. um and I just feel that there's so many games. Like yes. your your preamble was dead on. Like there's just so many games out there. There like, are so many. Yeah. And it seems like every week there's a new game or new batch of miniatures mm-hmm. coming out from somebody. Um, and the competition is really fierce. It is, but, and um, it's it's also especially just going back to what you're saying about Kickstarter. Like, if I stopped looking at Kickstarter at all the games that are on there because some of those games don't happen, and some of them are years away, and you just go, "I've got enough on my plate right now, thank you." Um, yeah, well, I find as well, like I get the impression of Kickstarter that because of the stringent, like, um, no, not the rules, but the stringent way that kickstarter operates it seems like people are out for more of a quick buck yeah like they, they've got to like do this they've got to produce this many models and they've got to get it out to people and then you never hear about it right like i'd ru- and it sits under someone's bed after the initial thing like mm-hmm. i would rather my company to be something that's more long term mm-hmm. that's in sort of for the long haul where customers can interact with the product and myself directly yep so it's like growing all the time, like building like a community alongside the game rather than just have a bunch of sales and sort of have this sort of flash in the pan community. And then, I don't know, maybe that, maybe the Kickstarters do happen like that. Um, but I think it depends on the cost. I think it depends on the company and how, how active the game developers of the company are in uh, interacting with, um, their customer base. Um, I know that before contacting you to be on as, you know, a, a podcast guest, um, I asked several questions to the group, the bot war group and got, you know, great in-depth answers, um, including from yourself. And it was just going, wow. Oh, he, he wrote the game. Oh, oh, oh wow. Okay. So he's really invested in this. Um, and just the, um, just the level of both the community that is really supportive of new players um, and you personally who are answering people's questions about how the game works or encouraging people to share their painted pictures, um, I just think goes a long way towards helping support that, that community. I mean, you talk about wanting to eventually develop some sort of you know, tournament system or something like that, but it being sort of a narrative-driven game right now, um, I think as people develop their forces and you know start getting games on the tabletop, I think you're I think you're you're doing the right way of doing that is building up that community through you know fun inclusive gameplay and then you know go, seeing where it goes from there. Yeah, well, I'm a ho- yeah. I guess I was just thinking like I'm a hobbyist too. I love to see other people's painted models and totally what they what they're doing with the models and their games etc. Because that actually helps to inspire me again. Yeah. You know, so um, yeah, I've always liked that aspect of of the hobby. It's mm-hmm. just seeing other people's stuff, what they've come up with, you know, color schemes they've used, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So um, I've always find that really interesting. But um, but yeah, like it's 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 pretty global now. Like it's like I'm there's a lot of players in Canada mm-hmm. for Bot War, um, US, UK, mm-hmm. uh, Australia. So, so go. I'm pretty pleased with that. It's it's a it's a strange feeling like being relatively new to this. It's a strange feeling having people buying the miniatures that you've produced. Yeah, that is that is strange. And it is strange that they're going to so many different places. Um, it's it's. I guess it just comes down to the way social media works now and the internet. Um, you know, people who, who love, have this shared love that we have of, you know, giant robot combat all of a sudden, bam, you know, everyone who has that interest can go, Oh yeah, cool. I like that. Let me get some of that. Um, let me look that up. Let me look up bot war in Facebook and Oh wow. Yeah. Those look great. Let me get some of that. Um, and it's funny the way that, you know, we see things and then it doesn't, you know, especially since you and I live in Australia, sometimes when you want to buy something, um, you you look online and go, ooh, you know, that's kind of far away. But then you go, no, I'd really like that. So, you know, it's I get boxes from all over the place. 
Um, yeah. And honestly, I just I love the idea of I can order something in Australia and it's going to show up. Woohoo! Um, yeah. Well, yeah. that that's that was a big challenge actually when I first started uh, with Traders Galaxy is like how do I how do I offer like and actually still make money and be able to post overseas because right. Australia Post is not the cheapest new um, post, but I use all my packaging um, is like uh, food grade packaging. Oh, cool! So it's uh, so it's like um, resealable foil packs. Mm-hmm. So they can actually lie them like pretty flat. Mm-hmm. So they go through as a large letter. Oh, in, nice! In most places, so um, I still pay a fair bit of postage to go to the US for bigger orders and stuff. But I offer free postage if anyone spends over two hundred Australian. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty happy to do that, to get my stuff out there. Totally. Absolutely. Well, right on, my good friend. Um, well, Anthony, our time is just about up. Um, anything else you'd like to add, or are you sort of happy with today's chat? Yeah, no, it's been great, Brad. Thanks for having me on the on the show. And, Thank you for coming. Um, yeah, mate, you know, maybe you know, as Botwell progresses, you know, down the track, you, you'll have me back and we'll talk about different things. Definitely, man. Please do come back. It would be great to talk about how things are growing. It's really exciting to hear uh, an Australian game kicking off. Um, I mean, I know you said it's only been since October, but looking back through the posts, through the Facebook page, you've been at it for years. I mean, you've clearly put a lot of hard work and a hard graph in getting this game put together, making sure it is a solid product, and then releasing the models. Um, it, it's, it's wonderful to see and I'd love to see how it develops. So yeah, I, and I'm absolutely part of the bot war group and I'm looking forward to seeing how that community develops over time as well. Awesome. Yeah. Excellent. Well, right on. And as I said, thank you very much. Um, and ladies and gentlemen, you at home, thank you very much for listening. Um, I know I've said it a lot in prior episodes, but, um, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it in the last couple of weeks, um, where I've been on break. Um, and I'm, <laughs> I'm always surprised that people listen to this, um, uh, this being sort of my hobby. Um, I've had a lot of people ask me recently for my Patreon information. Um, I, I don't like to ask people for money for what I consider to be, I guess, my hobby. Um, I am just glad that you guys are listening. Um, so I know podcasts don't cost money per se, um, but time is precious and that you took the time to listen to, to us today. So I have to say a giant thank you very much. Um, if you would like to find me on social media, um, since the last uh, episode, our Facebook page has changed names. You can now just find us under cast dice, C A S T D I C E. Um, I think it's just made it a lot easier for people to find the show and me. You can always message me there. Um, I have people messaging me all times a day. Um, if uh, for some reason it happens to be when I'm not near, I will message you right back as soon as I get to it. Um, time differences, since a lot of people are listening in other places, means that sometimes I'm asleep. Um, but I do always appreciate um, anyone sending out a message. And I have to thank everyone for all the kind holiday words. Um, it is awesome um to see you know where all these messages are coming from uh in the world so thank you very much for listening and of course if you would like to find more information about bot war please go to traders gallery uh, sorry galaxy traders galaxy not traitors traders um at dotcom.au or you can go to the bot war group b-o-t W-A-R exclamation point, and you will find the game. So, ladies and gentlemen, as always, uh, if you are in, as you are playing the games that we love so much, I hope that you have a cool beverage in your hand. I hope your dice roll hot. But more than anything else, I hope you are having fun. Good night. <laughs>